Amen. Bless the name of Jesus. Uh, we welcome everyone. Uh, in our last session, when was the last session? Last year when? September. Okay. Somebody told me that the spouse is a better person now. And my take of that is chances are actually you are the better person instead. But be that as it may, saints, remember what we, we are endeavoring to do is to strengthen marriages from a premise that says marriage is the highest order of relationship between people. Amen. Marriage is the only relationship that, number one, the Bible depicts as a relationship between Christ and the church. Marriage, number two, is the first institution ever to be blessed by God. The state of the blessedness of a human being was first realized in marriage. When God made Adam, he did not bless Adam. He did everything and said everything was good. And when he made Adam, he did not bless him. He actually said it is not good for a man to be alone. Only when they were together, the Bible says he blessed them and said, be fruitful and so the highest state of the original blessing was marriage. When you read in the book of John chapter 2, the Bible says there was a wedding in Cana. You remember the story of Jesus turning water into wine. The Bible declares, it says, And this of his first miracles... He did at the wedding and revealed his glory. In other words, everything that Islam says and other religions say about Jesus making beds with uh, clay and raising his friends after he killed him, those are their stories. The Bible says the first miracle that Jesus manifested his divinity through was at the wedding. And when you look at the context, it's that Mary says to him, they have ran out of wine. So in a sense, Jesus gets into an institution that he started in attendance, he encounters people who have reached the limitation of their resources. But then he comes and he says, he makes more than was needed. And in that, the Bible says, in making wine at a wedding, Jesus revealed his divinity. So, Arab people stay together for many years, not married. And then the year they get married, it gets tougher than the 20 years of just hanging around together. 
And then they ask themselves, and you, you, you read stories. These people have been staying together for 20 years. They've been loving each other for 20 years. How can they divorce two years after marriage? Now, what they don't understand is that marriage, once people make vows, they activate the blessedness of marriage. And the devil is also activated to work against the principle of marriage. Remember, when you, you, when you are not married, the Bible, when it speaks of your children, not only does it call them illegitimate and bastard, it says they are not blessed. And so the spiritual blessing that falls upon people who decide to get married provokes the, the, the spiritual evil against marriage. And so you can understand, all other relationships are never under attack. All other relationships are actually given thumbs up. When we're talking fat and set, everybody's okay. Except church. When you're speaking gays and lesbians, everybody's okay. But now when you talk marriage, people look at you like outdated. And here's a question that you and I need to ask as a start tonight. Is that what is wrong with what God has done such that it needs us to correct? You see, God instituted marriage between a man and a Whatever the mistakes that may have happened or are happening, say nothing about the blessedness of marriage. And the fact that your marriage does not live to the ideals of God's standard for you does not mean your marriage is cursed. It means you've allowed your marriage to go downstream because you're failing to adhere to what God said for marriage to be blessed. And so that's what we're trying to, that's why we call it marriage recover. And remember, hey, last time when we spoke, we said all relationships are alternatives. You remember that? That there are different marriages, happy, unhappy, and good ones. But in reality, even your relationship is the choice you've, you are continually making towards a bad or a better marriage. And so the ideals to which you aspire are informed by the convictions you have. Number one, we said if marriage, your marriage is an alternative, it's an alternative at the level of a belief system. What do you believe a marriage should look like? Then we gave you examples that there are people in other cultures which we should not mention for the sake of recording. They are married but they fight and they fight physically. The wife goes to the police and the police arrest the guy. He sleeps overnight. The wife is your friend. And the wife says, yeah, I just want to teach him a lesson. She's angry, she was beaten up, she's bruised, and then she says, yes, just one night. Now, remember, this person has laid a charge, right? 
that charge can warrant a sentence of six years. In her heart, she wants to teach him a lesson of one night. And then tomorrow she goes, she drops the charges. This is not the first time she drops the charges. But each time she drops the charges and you ask as a princess, no, but you know what? We fight, but he loves me. And then when you say it's a bad marriage, you see, it's a perception. Her conviction is that we fight, but we stay together. So the rule of abuse is irrelevant in this relationship. And then these people are going to be married until they die. They'll raise children. You will keep saying, no, it, it, me, me, if my husband, I can chop a fell. That's it, that's it. Oh, yeah, now she's been beaten almost to death. But she's still married. Are her convictions essentially godly? Not necessary. But see, she has a perception of what marriage is. Her perception is that whatever happens, stick in there. On the other extreme, you have those of us here who have since agreed in marriage to disagree. I love you, you irritate me. I'll let you be. And if I discuss with you who you are, yeah, now you are trying to change me. So, we have agreed. Don't change me, I won't change you. But we don't know the change that is necessary. In other words, it is futile to marry someone who is not supposed to change. And the very argument that don't change me in itself is only valid in so far as you do not deny changing. Are you following? So somebody speaks. Let's say you... Okay. Men are the ones who, who generally have a problem with this with their wives. That, babes, I don't have a problem with what you are saying. I have a problem with how you are saying it. And as a wife, I want to make my point clear. But apparently, it doesn't get to you. Because I've been saying the same thing over and we don't seem to be moving from that point until the wife takes drastic measures of saying something that she thinks if i say this it will hurt him to the core he'll get the message unfortunately he doesn't get the message he now closes his ear he becomes the ego rises and say don't talk to me like i'm your child are you following and all of this, don't worry, if it's happened in your marriage, don't, don't worry, it has happened to us. It's still happening. So I hope that comforts you. Eh? <laughs> you are not supposed to disclose that we are further than that now. We, we don't fight about the same things anymore. But you realize that these people are engaging at a level of saying, actually, you want me to change, but I don't really know 
to what direction I should change. But the one you are trying to suggest, I'm refusing. So you see, now here's the problem. If you are refusing to change because you feel your partner wants to change you, clearly you must have the right direction of change. You can't say, don't change me, and that's it, I'm just me. No, actually you, even if you were married to yourself, you would do it for a change. Are we still there? So, our responses, therefore, the words that we speak, the stuff that we are going to cover over the next four days, are intended to say, this is the direction you need to change. You must embrace that change yourself. And don't say somebody's trying to change you. If you are a Christian, realize that you need to be one. Amen? And then we also spoke about the fact that for most, we have experienced that, as psychologists says, marriages take a U-shape. You remember that? They start high, lovey-dovey, you are my life and everything. All of me loves all of you. My daughter sings the song and I think, I'm confused now. And what happens when it gets down? Remember, we are happy, 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 and then it starts. Familiarity breeds contempt. We start those things double. He's not the way he used to be. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, uh, sorry, let me move this side. He doesn't do the things he used to do. He doesn't make me laugh. He doesn't charm me anymore. He doesn't what and what and generally women says we are not romantic. I still have to find a guy where they say, oh my husband. When you, the closest women say their husband are romantic is he tries. I guess you know what I'm talking about. And so, as we pursued all of what we are aspiring for, romance, what, normal sex, you know normal sex, normal sex, it's that place between the extreme desire of one partner and the non the non-obligation of the other partner. That's normal sex. Others want to have it every day. Others think, yeah, you see, your face has given me the answers. Others go as far as saying, I can't have sex when I'm angry. Okay, thank you. <laughs> if your, your, your wife or your husband seems to agree, don't worry. They are just agreeing on our behalf, not necessarily because of you. So when we think of all the things that we will try to do as a collective, we then remember that as the curve goes down, 
we seem unhappy now. We seem it's like normal. For others, it gets worse. It gets to a point where you live like you are living with your sibling. You remember those people that I said, remember we're just revising. Those people who batula nankatlu. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> Partners are supposed to caress and touch, I But we don't go back to Lana. Oh, sorry, baby school toots. It gets worse when now we get to a place where sharp, sharp, we are together, but we miss each other. And don't look sad. It's normal. We are still merging. But see, now that means this thing gets down, 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 down. To that point which we have discussed, I, don't, I hope by now you know the, the phrases of my heart. Where we get to the bottom, where we now say, I married prematurely. You remember that? I married ignorantly. If I knew that marriage is going to be like this, I would have maybe later. And then that point that you say, I think I married the, the wrong person. And then you get to that point where you say, I wish I was not married. And the one we all like, the last one, I wish my partner was. <laughs> Let's put it nice. I wish my partner could disappear. And that is the point where we all now start loving by faith. You pretend like you've never had a situation where you almost divorced. Nine marriages out of ten had reached that point. Where one or both partners felt, I'm unhappy. I'd rather be alone than be uh-huh. You can even hear the voices, the way they come. That. So we, we went through that again. And we also spoke about marriage as having both maintenance and operation. Remember, when, when you were there, you know these things. But we, we don't want to start where people are not. And we said every marriage has maintenance and Operations. Operation is everything that is a necessity to do, but does not build our intimacy. You understand? Paying bills is maintenance. Rather, it's operation. Coming to church because we have one car is operation. Taking kids. These are the must-be-dones. You understand that, those things? So you find that a lot of us have a lot of things to do. We sit and budget. Budget is operation. We, there are so many things that we do. But maintenance, remember where we took the term. The term comes from those who work in industries and in factories where there's a production, production, and there's a shutdown. When we shut down, we shut the machines. We're trying to repair them from wear and tear. So wear and tear happens in our marriages. I get it was a lot. Wear 
we've been spending time together, but we're never there for each other. Remember when we said, isn't it amazing that all of us here are preoccupied with big things, but forget that we are brought together by small things. Now, you work hard, both of you, to pay the bond, to take the kids to school, to... You, 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 you phone each other. Babes, do you remember to pay through it? But how, what happened to, I just called to say... I love you. No, I said you call her again. It's what? Operation. Has this yeah, exactly. When you when they call you, don't forget the milk. What is that? Does it add anything to how I feel loved? No. It increases my sense of obligation and responsibility. And as such, it drains me. I have to do it. But remember, this is the depleting part of the relationship. Because then, you are no longer a lover. You are just a provider. When you are a wife and your wife gets, your husband gets home. Hey, how do you win and bring it? There's no food. Like, okay, I'm a, I'm a, a food machine. Are you following? And you realize, or we are high on operation, low on. Remember, maintenance is every word spoken, every action taken to say, I love you above every other person. But obviously, hey, if you ask some of us, when was the last time you did a romantic deed? Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> hey! Remember, when your, your spouse responses, responds, they are just responding on our behalf. Eh? And so, clearly, all of us, when we do marriage recovery courses, the idea is to create an awareness that you must, as far as you can possibly master energy, take your maintenance higher. Realize that SMS is still work. You know, and WhatsApp is free. <laughs> you, you, you know how many WhatsApps we send in a day? you'll be shocked that of the many ones you send today, you never send one to your spouse. Exactly. You said she must buy bread. You send an operations one. So, when we read the, the book of the Song of Songs, we established that mutual affection is the order of marriage, not unilateral or unidirectional romance. That if when you ascribe to the uh, men's health, or what's the other, what's the women's one? Cosmopolitan. If you ascribe to the cosmopolitan view of romance, you are far from a biblical view of it. As a result, you are going to be unhappy 
because your love is going to be a receiving and not a giving one. And so when we ask this question, when was the last time you did something good for your spouse? We are not asking you to say, yeah, when was the last time you did something for me? We are not asking your spouse. We are asking, are you following? That most marriages are lopsided because ultimately the wife reads Cosmopolitan and Cosmopolitan gives her 100 ideas of what the husband should do for her. Then guess what she does? She's seated with Christ in the heavenly places where there is no marriage. You know there's no marriage. So she's not going to make any effort. But remember, when we read Song of Songs, Song of Songs showed us that there is a mutual craziness about each other. There's not, I will learn to love you as we go. And then on the one extreme, I'm the guy that says, now I don't talk a lot. But your friends know you talk a lot. The only problem is that you find it odd to express how you feel to your wife. The other extreme, are the wives who say, ah, you know, sex for me is a duty. Look at your faces. <laughs> we keep asking this question. When was the last time you fleshed your husband? You remember we, t- we repeated and repeated that we don't mean flashlight. <laughs> and it doesn't matter how many times you ask it. We remain intact where we are. And here was the question we asked. How come we are committed to doing so many things for our spouses except the ones they ask? Yeah? Well, I, I, let me ask myself here because clearly, Luna, you are on a different level. How come am I so dunderheadish to ignore the ask and pursue what I think is? You realize that. Your wife asks the same things all the time. Your husband asks the same. And both of you are resolute not to do that. You do every other thing, but those ones, God bless Africa and no place else. And then we, towards the end, we spoke about the, the marriage breakers. You remember? We spoke about, that's what we're going to get into tonight. That most people, we are where we are because we do not recognize marriage breakers as marriage breakers. Unfortunately, each of those, we said, is enough on its own to destroy your marriage. They don't have to be ten. If it is one and it is strong enough in your marriage, it's going to break your marriage. And so we gave you a list. Remember that. We spoke about your background. 
if your background is soft lord and you never was open about it a person who loves you thinks they love the true you until they get the surprise and then they realize they were never prepared for what you are telling them now and then guess what it's too late and now you are claiming but 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 i thought you loved me i did not know you <laughs> you realized and and others were just saying it's simple things like people who are raised by single mothers and they are girls and the whole lot is girls so if you marry someone who's raised by a single mother and she's the eldest daughter you do realize that already two things are at work in her life one is that the mother because she's compensating for the absence of her father she has to be stronger on her to try and get her to help discipline the younger ones as she grows as she takes more responsibilities she becomes more decisive she's so she's driven and then on the other hand based on background she gets married to a guy who's number five of the six children so when they discuss things at home he has three brothers and a sister so the three brothers are brothers they you must know Antoine. and the sister in the middle has to exert herself for him and so he grows up with an awareness that i don't have a voice if he decides okay whatever because when they discuss stuff if he can add he'll add but nah, it doesn't really matter you understand so he gets married he's used to a nonchalant way of living if there are problems my brother will solve if i don't have money i'll phone my sister if there's this my my mother will do this you understand that term? and so he becomes part of community because if everything happens they phone him for hands when there's a wedding when are you coming he's not coming to make decisions he's coming to slaughter the cow or whatever else that needs to be done and now guess what they get married you already see we have a disaster don't we but we don't think it's a disaster as far as we are concerned he's a nice guy she's a nice woman in the church we believe she's a prayer warrior when she prays she makes noise she's a strong prayerful woman when he prays he's cool he's very nice with everyone now when they get married those guys unless they get proper counseling they are heading for trouble because now simple things he lets go when he's supposed to stand up for an issue i ah, know no no let's leave it when there are decisions to be taken i will see it and for her a decision must be taken and taken now guess what happens one day she'll tell him you must be a man man come on be a man be a man and now he starts feeling uh, you see what is happening somebody was supposed to help them no 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 let's understand what's your background what does it look like okay maybe 
Your background may not shape you. There are many other things that shape you. But you need to be aware of one, two, three, four, five, six things. I get you remember. And then we spoke about covenant and values, the values that you communicate. Most of us, we, we were aware. Hopefully this time we will do the exercise as we go on. That you don't have communicated values. You have assumed values. Because you love your wife, you think your wife loves people. Or she must love people. Because your husband does things for you, you think your husband is hospitable. Until one day, one of you comes with friends at home. I agree, we never discussed the value system. We are a hospitable family. What does that mean? In our hospitality, please, if you are bringing friends, make me aware in advance. Even if you are, all, you've already decided, they give me a call and say, love, be aware I'm coming with people. Should I buy juice on the way? But you have not discussed those things, I guess. So guess what? Your husband rocks up with his friends. And you're thinking, hey. This guy, he knows there's no food. Or at least there is food, but it's only for us for this. We have I've budgeted the number of drumsticks. <laughs> and guess what? He rocks up with people that will finish them today. And we're only getting paid in four days. And then your wife, she's cooking. And you're thinking, you're embarrassing me, man. Babes, what is it? How to... <laughs> she comes, she greets your friends. Dumela? Hey, the guy, the guy, the guy, the guy, man. Hey, the guy, the guy, the guy, Good. And then, she brings the food, if she still has it in her heart. Alternatively, she tells you, Food is red. And then, but you see, it's a conflict, right? But you realize it was based on values that were never discussed. We don't know. We say respect is a value, but we fight about respect. And then the wife gets the courage to ask you now, what do you mean? What should I be doing to show you your shompa? And you realize that, wow, actually we never discussed that. We've never discussed that. When, when we are dealing with respect, when you talk to me, here's my request, don't raise your voice. You see? That value has been... So there are many values, and we spoke about sex and sexuality and in-laws and social life and religion. Religion is still a problem for most of us here. People think they believe the same things they don't. Some of us, when the chips are down, let's see. Again, when, when the chips are down, you call your mother. 
because your mother has always taken you to that person who fixes everything in your home. So we spoke about all the marriage breakers. We, we will cover a few of them for this week. We had a list of 15 or 16. We'll probably cover only five this week. And then the last list was the togetherness list. I wonder how many of us did it. Eh? I know a couple who did it and fought over it. And I congratulated them. Oh, wow, you guys fought. Nice. Remember the togetherness list that we spoke about. That what do couples do together? When we want to have a good relationship, there must be things we are committed to do together. But have you realized that when we start familiarizing ourselves with each other to the point that we take each other for granted, there's less and less we do together. And so we said, go and do, make your own as a couple togetherness list. What are the things that couples do together? Start with what couples should do, not what you do, what they should do. For instance, we, we, we spoke about even crazy things like they cry together. Yeah, but your wife has just lost her mother. Or you lost your mother. Your wife is crying with you. I went, <laughs> but you are hurting. This is the only person you can truly be vulnerable. You remember the law of real first exposure. That if everybody else doesn't know anything about you, your spouse knows. We spoke about that one. That it's a law that tells you that if you claim to ask good boy that you have money, she knows that you don't. And if you say, Nanta, take it very AK47, she knows why, man. <laughs> it is just a nine millimeter. You understand? So if she knows that much, why do you postpone your emotional freedom? To say, my wife, I'm hurting. Are you still following? And so, because of that, the togetherness list, they cry together, they pray together, they budget together, they dream together, they walk together, they run together, they sleep together, they eat together. <laughs> Look, my wife wants to run. <laughs> okay, no problem. But you understand all those things. They take a drive together. Okay, if you don't have a car, you can cycle together, you can run together, you can worship together. You, you, you realize that? You'll be shocked. This couple that I'm telling you about, they had a list of about 39 things. They did only five. And even the five they were doing, when you, you probe further, you realize that, no, Okay. For instance, in their five was they sleep together. <laughs> they watch TV together. And when they say they watch TV together, in reality they don't. Because there's a contention. We are not watching what we mutually love and discuss. 
I am there just because you want to watch what you want to watch. And since I don't want to be rude. Yes. I, are you following? And so when you think, yeah, but this adds nothing to your relationship with each other. You are just, it's those things that you are together, but you are not there for each other. So, yeah, I think that's where we ended last time, did it? Again, Rabazala. So today, in fact, this week, if it gets tough for your marriage this week and you start fighting more, don't worry. It's a good thing. As long as no one beats the other. When you, you grapple with issues and you start thinking there's unfairness on your partner, say it. Amen. So this week, let's start back where we were, where we started last time, in Genesis. In Genesis, we established a few things. One was that God's idea of marriage is, you remember we spoke about covenant, companionship, or comradeship, and what was the other one? Secrecy. Cash. Did you? That's a nice one. Okay. We will, when we come back to it, we will remind you. But now let's 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 get to. Chapter 2 of verse uh, chapter 2 verse 24. This is after Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of men. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cling to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, here's the thing, Bazaran. The first thing that I want us to address tonight is at the very inception of marriage, the issue of in-laws is raised before any other. How's that? This is the bone of my bones. Ne? Flesh of my flesh. So that Oneness is there. So the aspect of maintenance means you and I are actually one. So when I better you, I better the oneness. If you become better, I become better. That's the easy part. If you understand that when we said last time, when you marry for comradeship, it means you cannot marry someone you have no intention of spending more time with than any other thing a person. But obviously, that's not the decision that we take as we get married. Because clearly, if you look at time, let's take our eight hours of work outside of it, right? That's obligatory for most of us. You work in Pretoria, she works in Jobek. But weekends and every other thing, your, your greatest time goes to nobody else but TV and other things, not him or her. And so in a sense, 
the the one flesh cause it's a cause that was designed in one institution to actually bring you together to realize that when you better your spouse you better yourself your marriage becomes better when your spouse is better and therefore how do they become better they become better if we invest the best in them so that was the easy part now the part that was coming it says therefore if there is an understanding of oneness therefore a man there are no parents yet this is just adam and eve but the issue of the in-laws is brought first as an issue to be addressed therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave shall be glued together to his wife and they shall become one flesh so what does this mean it means if you think about it the one flesh unity it's actually prefaced what comes before it is an awareness that there are certain people i actually need to deal with in terms of my relationship my proximity with my parents is not a one flesh proximity are you following that so here's a question then Bazalan. on top of our list not in any particular order in any case but in terms of the scriptures we are going to read when people don't address the issue of their their in-laws we have a problem and so now let us explore what does the bible say about in-laws okay when we give you the notes you will remember the scriptures number one let's talk about the living and cleaving and the balance to it the bible says when you live you must live in a manner that allows the new family to establish itself as a separate entity does that make sense which means when i leave my parents few things must happen for us to be a separate entity number one there can only be one head of the new family which means there is not deferring to your brothers and your whoever's but unfortunately for most of us because we are africans we are communal we still believe against the teaching of the bible that we are married communally we are married before the community as witnesses but not communally as an obligation of oneness once you marry and you were not ready to leave don't marry so number one i must be able to live geographically and when i give you my pay do you want to so to you are shangan you are vendor luna le shapa kaori renare akotis when i marry i bring my wife home fine maybe not fine ask your wife i don't know now we didn't do it 
because I did not see the fine in it. If you did it, no problem. Ne? Here's the issue now. Do you now are supposed to stay at your home with your wife? And then you, most of us try it. We keep trying. Let me tell you. The more you do it, the unhappier your marriage will be. Why? Because the intention of God is that geographical dislocation should mean a new establishment of headship. You see, when you are at your mother's home, you are still her son. That is why if you were never clear with your parents, especially for the men, to clarify that this is now a new family. We discussed this with some guy and I found it said he's scared of his parents to tell them that his home is his home and his wife, not theirs. And so when the parents come, they still dominate. And when you're, as a husband, when your siblings come, you make your wife a foreigner in her home. So, you have not left, you, you may have left geographically, but you have not left emotionally. When you are hurt, the first person you discuss, you commit emotional adultery. When you are hurt, or had this problem at work, guess who you tell first? Mom. But you don't understand. God never intended it to be that way. That's why he said, a suitable helper. So you left geographically, emotionally, you have not left. Psychologically, you have not left. How do we know? You can't make decisions here in the home without external influence. I'm not talking about seeking counsel. I'm talking about we are sitting here and we say, yeah, no, we discuss, discuss, discuss. Yeah, we're going to buy a, a car, we are going to buy which car? And we got, we're going to buy a fortune. <laughs> we have made what? A decision. So psychologically we seem steadfast in what we are going to do. Guess what you are going to do? You are going to ask your mom or your father or your brother or whoever. Once you've asked them, you come back now. Babes, you know, now I don't think we should buy Fortuna anymore. Why? I mean, we, we took the whole night discussing this issue. My mom says it's too expensive. <laughs> Psychologically, you haven't. Financially, you haven't left. And, and, and this is a, is a very thorny one. But you will get to the balance thereof. Saints, when we marry, two things should happen. When it comes to the in-laws. Prior to the wedding day, we must have, during the premarital counseling, 
discussed our financial obligations to our families. We don't support your family because your mom raised you hard in difficulty. In that case, if you still want to support your mother on those grounds, don't marry. Are you following? What is supposed to happen is that when we sit down, we should now discuss the merits of financial support. That is why now the Bible says, widows in the church who have their children, their children must support them. Agree here, you still the Bible. So the Bible says there is an obligation on the children to support their parents. It says when the parents are unable to make ends meet, the children are supposed to help. Are you following? So it's not a question of leave them and let them die. But because when your understanding of living was never an awareness that living means cleaving. If I cleave, I cannot make decisions outside that cleaving. You understand? So when I cleave, everything is on hold. Then we discuss what is the financial state of our families? How can we help? How far can we go? Are you following? So you can't just say, yeah, I used to give my mother 5,000. My mother knows. And when you let your mother believe that she rightfully deserves the 5,000, she doesn't. When you are her son and you are mother's boy, it's okay. But when you become a head of a family, it's a different ball game. Are we still okay? So now you are supposed to then say, okay, babes. And here's the, the other problem. We, we cannot apply a mathematical formula or balancing the equation in your science, you know, acids and bases. Whatever you do on the, you do on the right. You know that's crazy. And you know how many people are trying it here. Yeah. Babes, are you okay? No. I'm not okay. Why are you not okay? I've just been thinking. What are you thinking about? Don't mind. No, please tell me. Why do we give your mother 5,000 every month? And my mother, we, we just visit her. <laughs> Clearly, there's childishness here. And the childishness is simple. You are too mathematical or you are applying solutions, acids and bases. My mother lives in an RDP house. My two sisters died of HIV leaving their four kids. Right? My mother has high blood pressure. She doesn't have a medical aid. Your mother is a principal. She lives in Ramsey. <laughs> she has a townhouse in Danefen. She, she drives a fortune. Huh? 
Are you seeing how childish are we becoming? So, but here's the thing. Your mother stays alone. Are you seeing the picture? The picture makes sense. My mother may not need us to visit her too many times. But she needs the financial support. Your mother may be suffering from loneliness and other concerns. So we can visit her more. Now imagine, Nasek is starting. Yeah. You know, our kids have not been visiting my mother for long. Your mother already has four kids. <laughs> Are you following? So it would make sense for the child of our kids to spend more time with the lonelier mother, grandmother. Does it mean they won't go to the other side? But it just means we are both aware of the needs that are presenting themselves. Is that okay? So here's the, the other last thing that we need to ask. How many of us, don't raise your hand, have actually clarified the position of our in-laws to each other and to them? Take a simple example. When your sibling visits home, our house, is it by default or by discussion? Ah, that one you are supposed to answer. You see what is happening? Your siblings come as and when they feel. Have we sat and discussed how long? Have we sat and discussed the expectations? Have we sat and discussed disciplinary measures? No wonder we have a problem at home then. Because for you, you believe it's my sibling and therefore they deserve to be here. Look, they don't deserve to be anywhere except their home. This is not their... Am I making you fight? I'm making you aware why you are fighting. <laughs> because we never set in. So when the, 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 the child arrived, we never set the child down and said, in this home, this is what happens. Now, when your sibling does not cook, Let's say you're the husband. Ne? Your sibling is a girl. She comes. She figures. There's a makoti in this house. Can you believe? Because in her head and the way you taught her at your home is that your wife is the makoti. So when she's at your wife's house. She still figures, I'm at my brother's house. So guess what? Who's supposed to cook? The wife. Who's supposed to clean? And then one day you arrive and your wife's nose has uh, relocated. It has moved from here 
to hear. And you know there's tension now. Key. Down. But here's the problem. By default, you are going to protect your sister. Even if you never meant to, by default, you will. Because in your head, my sister can't be that bad. On the worst case, on the worst case now, you make your sister the devil. Mamela Moon. How not I'm gonna go and disrespect my wife? And again, this is this woman. Hmm? Your hand is your finger is shaking. This woman, this is her, her house. If you can listen to this woman, you must pack and go. I mean, either approach is useless. Because when she gets home, she's going to tell your mother that your wife has poisoned you against her. How's that? And then your mother. And the next time you go home, your mother will deal with her. Not with you. Because your mother, as far as she's concerned, you are a good boy. It's this snake that has put poison in you. Are you following, Mazanan? So what were you supposed to do? Don't just let in-laws get in and out without discussing. Don't let your mom say, uh, Pet, the kids will be coming for holidays. Okay, mom, I will tell my wife, our pet. What kind of a head are you? Say to your mom, that's okay. If they want to come, I'll tell you if they can come. I'll phone you tomorrow. I guess she phoned you. You will be the one who tells her. And this is now what you tell her. No, um, there are other things that we need to do in the home, whatever your reasons may be. They cannot come. They'll come next time. I'll phone when they can. Now listen to you. Mom, I discussed with my wife. And she said. <laughs> you, 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 you can tell what you just did. So what's the long and short of it? It's the fact that. As far as the Bible was concerned and remains concerned, your in-laws do not run your family. That includes your father. Now we both don't have, so it's easy for us. <laughs> Are you still okay with it? Let's get to a... This one is terrible. Let's go to the book of James. Are we still okay, Bazaar? So, what is the point of everything we are saying? Is that you go and discuss what in your case 
is the best thing to do. And just in case you are wondering, we've also had those problems in our home where you just think, oh, she must understand. I may tell you, it will break your marriage. It's just that the people that are, are not here today are the ones who have that problem. I'm reading from James chapter 3. Does someone, can someone read for us? James chapter 3. Thank you, sir. Yeah, even NIV is fine. From verse, let's start from 1 up to 10. The book of James, chapter 3, verse 1 to verse 10. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by men, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. And <clears throat> sorry, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Out of the same mouth comes blessings. And so it says the, 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 the mouth, the tongue, it's a world of evil. So before we get into the communication, let's talk about what do you, do you say to each other about your in-laws? One of the most important things is do not speak evil of your family to your spouse. Eh? Don't. Could even if you know, don't say, that guy, he can drink you flat. You know what's going to happen? The Bible says, it's a world of evil. It corrupts the person. 
But here's the thing. The tongue not only corrupts the speaker, it corrupts the listener. And so sometimes we find that my attitude to my in-laws was not what I discovered for myself, was what I was told. And now you regret, because you see, the next time your spouse repeats what you said, hey, hey, are you seeing what is happening now? But remember, I didn't know. I never really see him drunk. I never see him peeing on himself. You the one who saw all those things and you corrupted my perception of your family by those things you said. Are you still, are you regretting what you said? So then, be aware that as we speak about them, and as I speak about my in-laws, I'm corrupting my wife as well. Because you see, when I say something negative, I am provoking in her the desire to see negative in my, in my family as well. And we all like it, don't we? You all like talking about your in-laws in a manner that says, for instance, your mother does not like me. It would have been better if you asked him, how do you see my relationship with your mother? And start hearing what his view is. Maybe he doesn't see that. Maybe he does see. Sometimes he's just thinking, maybe it will get better. As soon as you say, you know, I really don't like your mother. You've provoked a desire out of him to tell you, neither do I like your father and mother. <laughs> are you still okay? So in a sense, saints, what are we doing? The more we speak, be aware that we are raising corruption. Rather say positive things or say nothing. Is that okay? So a few things here that you need to go home and discuss. Number one is that what is the present relationship with your in-laws? And don't get there and say, ah, but Luena, you know, my mother is a sweetie. Let the person tell you. Hopefully you will tell the truth. It's important to say how's the, 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 the relationship. The ideal is for it to get better. You understand that? There's no point for you hating your mother-in-law. Well, sometimes there is for you, but as far as I'm concerned. You know, sometimes when somebody feels hated and they feel I must hate them back, that's the point that they think. But in reality, you know, one day your, your kids are going to be ill-treated because of that. I know kids who can't go anywhere. Some of you were raised like some of us were. 
where you are not supposed to visit other people that you never fought with. You guys don't know these things. Or it still hurts. There are those people we never visited because our parents didn't talk to them. Agir, where are your parents now? Well, if they are still there, good for you. If the parents are now gone and you are left with the people you hated for no reason, you understand where does that leave you? But that's the legacy you are giving to your children. The more you say, I hate my mother-in-law, your kids will know. And before long, they won't be going there. But one day, they are going to need, unless she dies before you. Well, that's different. But they may still need your mother-in-law one day. Yes, sir. Yes. Yes, the question sessions will come, but you are allowed to. Yes. No, you ask. No, you actually ask. You see, the whole point, the, the discussion you are going to have is that. Okay, what's the relationship? The relationship is so and so and so. What could have triggered?